Welcome to the Misfit Stars podcast. I'm Shannon Curtis. And I'm Jamie Hill. Hi, listeners. Shannon and I are a married pair of working artists, and this podcast is our weekly date for getting on microphones and talking with one another and with you about what's mattering to us this week. We are so happy you're here. And hi, Shannon. Hello. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Leisurely approached the Happy New Year. Yeah. It's the 10th. We're easing in. We're easing in. It's all good. We actually took time off. Amazing. We, it was so good. Should we start off with some announcements? 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 Yeah, you got to sing the song, though. <sighs> Sometimes I don't want to sing the song. I so know, I'm, but it's, it's a bit. Announcements, announcements, announcements. Okay. No, I'm going to do it. Oh, fine. Announcements, announcements, announcements. Okay, thank you. It's got to be sung. Okay, it's good. Okay, it's good. I have one announcement. Do you have any, any announcements? Uh-huh. You do have one. Uh-huh. Okay. Well, I'll start with mine then. My uh, announcement is that we are announcing for the first time right here on this podcast, the official uh, launch date for the Good To Me book. Uh, It's the companion book that uh, we put together for the new album we put out in December. Mm -hmm. Uh, That launch date is officially... January 31st. January 31st? So That's uh, an auspicious date. Is it? Sounds like it. Oh, okay, great. 31st. Biggest date you can have in a month. Uh, yeah. Pretty exciting. Okay, great. So that's the official launch date of the book. What you need to know is that we'll have, uh, that'll be the date we'll, we'll have a link for you, uh, anybody who doesn't already have a copy of it, uh, to purchase one if you'd like to. Oh, mm-hmm. on that note, mm. if you are a supporting member of Misfit Stars and you have a book coming your way, I want to say... They were very slow in getting to us. Yeah, so holidays. We haven't been able to send them out yet. They're going to start rolling out over the next few days. The The hardbacks are even further delayed. So just thank you for your patience. It'll be coming soon. You'll still uh, get it before the official book launch. That's right. <laughs> Probably. <laughs> Yeah, fingers crossed. Yeah. Uh, but we're going to have the book launch on the 31st. Um, we will. What we're going to be doing to celebrate the book launch is uh, Jamie and I are going to be getting on Facebook and Instagram live for... 10 nights. Whoa. Once again. Again? For a different sort of thing than yeah. we did back in the for the album launch. We're going to be doing a 10-day 10, 10 book club yeah. on Facebook and Instagram Live starting on uh, Tuesday, January 31st, mm-hmm. the day of the book launch. And we're essentially just going to go chapter by chapter through the book, uh, one chapter each night, mm-hmm. and read it and discuss it and have conversations with y'all in the comments in real time. It'll be like interactive and we can you can just talk with us sort of book book club style about like what these thoughts bring up in yeah. you, ideas, reactions you have. And we can talk about your thoughts with you and other people. It should be really cool. I think it's going to be cool. Yeah. So we, got to, we did a little tiny bit of that in our broadcasts in December when mm-hmm. we launched the album. And it just made me want more of that, <laughs> that, that interactive stuff about yeah, these ideas. So, yeah. uh, so mark your calendars. January 31st is the book launch. What's your announcement? My announcement is just recurring and ongoing. Our new album, Good To Me, is out in the world. And I just want to say, if you haven't heard it yet, today's a great day to listen to it. Mm-hmm. It's everywhere that you find music. If you're a Spotify person, Apple Music, Tidal, Deezer, Amazon, whatever. Mm-hmm. Anywhere you listen to music, it's there. It's on Bandcamp. You can listen there for free for the first few listens uh, as one of our Misfit Stars supporting members messaged me about like yesterday. Oh, cool. And she's like, I tried to play it again and it told me I had to give money. But the good news is that we have made the, all the music on Bandcamp be name your own price purchase yeah. with a minimum of zero. Right. So insider tip, all you got to do is just go buy it 
for zero dollars <laughs> if that's the price you need to do, right? If that's what fits your budget, please just go buy it for zero dollars and then you can listen to it forever. Yeah. Not only that, if you download the free Bandcamp app to your phone, mm -hmm. you can just take your personal Shannon Curtis free music collection with you and you can oh, listen to it on the go. You can cool. listen to it in your car, on your headphones, on the bus, mm. wherever you want. On the bus, I like that. Uh, another cool feature that uh, I was just posting on socials about today is on Spotify, mm -hmm. Uh, if you listen on Spotify, you can now see the lyrics to all of the songs from Good to Me on the phone app uh, yeah. for Spotify, yeah. which is really cool. And like for me, I like I'm one of those people who like I want to sing along to the song. So if I don't exactly know the lyrics, I'll just make up my own, yeah. <laughs> whatever it sounds like, you know. Yeah. And it's really helpful to actually see what the lyrics really are because yeah. like, it's a it's a jarring experience. Like there are some songs from like my teenage years that I've been singing the wrong lyrics to for like decades. Oh, for sure. <laughs> and it's a really jarring experience to like yeah. learn what the actual lyrics are. It's funny too, but you you can avoid all of that by just going, if you listen on Spotify on your phone, just hit the bottom. There's a little thing at the bottom of the song page that allows you to pop up the lyrics and they kind of like come, they appear to you in real time like a karaoke machine. It's yeah. really cool. It's, it's a really, real, it's nifty. It's a fun interface. Uh, you know, so you can avoid situations like singing along to that Steve Winwood song in 1984, Bring Me a Pile of Love. I don't, that's your sister. That's my that. sister. That's, a, that's, I'm just calling my sister out by name at this Bring point. Bring me a pile of love. How oh, does yeah. she even get that? That's so funny. It's so cute. No. Well, she was eight. Yeah, okay, well, fair enough. That's how. There you go. She didn't know. Very good. Well, thank you for that announcement. Go listen to Good To Me, wherever you listen. Thank you. Mm -hmm. uh, Jamie. Yeah. How are you feeling today? Oh, thanks for asking. I feel good. I feel rested and I feel excited. Cool. Those two things. Cool. Uh, you and I just took two solid weeks off. Mm -hmm. Longtime listeners of the podcast, just people who more generally know us in person or just period, uh, know that we're not great at taking time off. We did it though. We did it. Pat we, on the back. You guys, I want you all to know, we actually took two uninterrupted weeks straight through without one day of slipping where we did not do any work, where we yeah. just woke up every day and did whatever the heck we wanted. It was which was mostly just like sit around in our PJs and watch Netflix and HBO Max. <laughs> we went for walks sometimes. One time we went Drives. and we got crepes. Yep. You know what I mean? Just little adventures in the car, everything mm -hmm. close to home. We didn't go anywhere. We didn't no. stay anywhere. We didn't have a vacation. It was staycation, baby. It was so great. The really nice thing I've realized about having toured for like at least four months a year for like mm -hmm. 15 straight years mm -hmm. is that I have absolutely no FOMO when I see other people going on vacations to exotic <laughs> places and I'm just sitting on my couch. I'm like, you guys enjoy that. I'm actually resting. I love my couch. Yeah. Yeah. So you're feeling rested and yeah. excited. Yeah. Cool. The two things have sort of combined in a weird way for me, though, over the last couple of days. Because so we got back to work yesterday, Monday. Today's Tuesday. I slept amazing all through our vacation, but like Sunday night and Monday night, I slept like crap oh, because no. like my excitement oh. about the work I have coming up was kind of like catching up, and just my head was spinning That's as funny. I was going to sleep after I woke up to pee, like to any time it could, yeah. all night long about all the fun stuff I get to do. Yeah. So actually, I slept. Really poorly the last couple of nights, <laughs> but sure I still I still feel excited. I'm sure you'll find your balance. Too. Oh yeah, it's yeah. fine. Yeah. How about you? How are you feeling? Okay, so the first thing I'm feeling today is stymied. Oh, <laughs> I feel you. There were just some 
just random technological snafus. We both encountered some today yeah. that were like, what? I just wanted to do this simple thing and my technology is not allowing me to do it. Yeah. We both worked through it. And honestly, I'm feeling, I, I feel like we both maintained a cheerful, yeah. undeterred attitude through yeah. it all. So that's great. But other than that, I'm also feeling excitement and eagerness about, mm-hmm. like we had the, we had a, a, a really great sort of vision setting planning session yesterday yep. about what our work work is going to look like this year. And yeah. I'm just really excited. It's one of those, like I'm excited and also like scared shitless because it's always like our, we live in the midst of like uncertainty and vulnerability. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and this is all of our plans involve those things. And a bunch of new stuff. <laughs> yeah. yeah. But I'm also just really just excited. So, so really doing well. Um, what about we kick things off, really just kick things off, put it into high gear with the good news machine. Sounds great. What you got? Okay, this is such fun news. Okay, I read this article the other day. There's this biotech company in Georgia. They've received conditional approval from the USDA uh, for the first vaccine for honeybees. Did you hear about this? A vaccine Like that you can give bees. to little bees? Okay, so I, let me just explain. Do you have to use like a tiny, tiny needle? Don't, before you start in, envisioning a tiny syringe, oh. just let, I'll explain. Although oh. it is fun to it's imagine so that's how it might go. But the reason they, that we need a vaccine, there's, you've probably heard that over the last number of years, the honeybee population has been decimated. Yeah, there's like, been colony collapse because they're getting sick. Like, yeah, and different kinds of infections. Um, uh, bacterial, different kinds of bacterial infections and that kind of thing. And it's, it's, a bad thing because like 75% of our crops Mm -hmm. require pollinators. Oh yeah, for sure. Like you can't just grow these crops without these natural pollinators. It can't be done artificially. Like just, you have to have, it's it's not just bees that pollinate. There are other things like, like moths and other insects. But bees do the heavy lifting. Bees do a bunch of it. And so, the fact of honeybee collapse is a really bad thing. And, yeah. it, and it's, you know, it's related to climate change. It's related to, you know, just ways that we haven't taken care of our environment. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of those, one of the reasons that they're, the, the populations are collapsing is because of infection, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so they've developed this vaccine. <laughs> and so I wish it were tiny syringes going into millions of bees, but oh. it's not. Uh, but it's, it's actually really cool though. They figured out that they can, um, they can, uh, they can actually like they t- they they inoculate the queen bee. Um, so they they did this test like they and they inoculated like thousands and thousands of queen bees, maybe mm-hmm. million. I don't even know how they did, it, but you can you can give the 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 vaccine to the queen bee, and then she transfers uh, the immunization that you've given her uh, into her. Uh, her eggs into her uh, into her ovaries, essentially, and so like her, all of her offspring then carry that immunization. They're forward. born immune. Yeah. Whoa. So it's it's really neat how it all works, and they've got approval for this for one bacterial infection first that they're gonna they're gonna be moving ahead with, but it really kind of like opens up the possibility of being able to inoculate the bees for all the other kinds of infections that are decimating their populations now too. It's really cool. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. It makes me think of the uh, resistant, like, corn strains that, like, Monsanto uh-huh. ha- have made seeds for. Uh-huh. So you can plant these seeds, and the corn that grows from it will be resistant to, like, whatever the stuff oh, is that uh-huh. kills. Uh, uh-huh. It's kind of the same thing, but for bees. It's sort of the same thing, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I and I'm, I don't know if it's altering... 
I don't know if it alters the genetics. I'm not sure exactly how all the science works. Oh, we're going to for sure figure out the ramifications of this like 20 years down the line when everyone's getting like bee cancer. No, stop it. This is good news, Jamie. Right, right, right. Good news, good news. It's good news. Right. (laughs) (laughs) Do you have any good news items today? Nope, not today. Well, then let's get less dumb. Class, anyone? Anyone? Man, I've got an interesting one here. Okay. So, uh... It, this didn't fit eat neatly, and it's either let's get less dumb or this feels important, something. Okay. I don't quite know. Right. So I subscribe to a bunch of different people's newsletters. So everyone knows that. Uh, and I was reading this really, really interesting newsletter uh, last week by this guy, Brian Klass. Okay. K-L-A-A-S. And Klaas. it's on, maybe, maybe, Klaas. Yeah, totally. Sounds kind of Dutch, huh? Mm-hmm. And it's on the origins of stress. Okay. And like the origin specifically of like our understanding of how stress works in the human body. Okay. And it started off with this really, really interesting sort of mini like encapsulated biography that he sort of wrote. Just a little story about this guy, this sort of quack doctor. Not exactly a quack. He was sort of, I mean, it was in the 1700s, like the late 1700s. So all Medicine was kind of part medicine and part quackery. Sure. So people were trying to they learn were, stuff. They were they also were just making things up. Working stuff out. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. They were in that transition from we just make everything up to we try to make up less. Yeah. But there was still a bunch of made up stuff in there. You sure, know? sure, sure. And so this guy, uh, his name was... Uh, John Hunter, he was a Scottish surgeon, but he had an obsession with like sort of DIY autopsies. Oh. Uh, Yeah. But that was something that a lot of doctors did back then, That's how you learned about stuff. You were learning about things. Yeah. Yeah. And so this guy had a voracious appetite for like uh, getting bodies to examine. Like he had a real personal interest. I mean, and his interest led him to like grave robbing. A lot of folks did that back then. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Um, And indeed to like speculating on and like making plans for certain interesting people's bodies. Oh. Like even before they were dead, like paying people off in advance to try to have access to, like there was a giant back in the day, like an eight foot something tall person. So like he offered him money so that when he died, he could have access to his body. Oh my gosh. Yeah, macabre, right? It is so macabre. Yeah, it's so interesting. Um, And so, you know, this guy was, uh, you know, he was a little bit bonkers. Uh, he had become a world-leading expert on human anatomy uh, by dissecting thousands and thousands of fresh corpses. Uh-huh. Um, it says here in the article, Hunter had a can-do attitude, which was alarming given his professional interests. <laughs> <laughs> when there wasn't a sufficient supply from the hospitals, he robbed graves, bringing the bodies to his house, um, which was just like a place where there's a modern-day pub. And this author's oh. actually had a couple of pints in the pub that used to house this guy's house where oh. he dissected thousands and thousands of bodies. So oh that's weird and interesting. Gosh. Says here, though, that this surgeon, this hunter, he, he was an irritable, eccentric workaholic, starting his research at dawn and often persisting into the small hours of the following morning. Uh, he sought status. He wanted to not only establish himself as a preeminent figure in medical science, but also he hoped to solidify his social rank above his brother with whom he was feuding. Okay. So he wanted to, like, get the respect of the medical establishment and the political establishment is a way of kind of getting over on his brother who he hated. Tale as old as time. Yeah, okay. super good. Mm-hmm. Um, 
So it says here, some of Hunter's research was doomed by its obvious lunacy, such as when he tried to invent a pathway to human immortality by freezing a series of ears from various animals. It's a little unclear what his theory was for how ears could lead to immortality, but needless to say, it didn't work. (laughs) You know, but he was... Yeah, don't say. Yeah, but you know, again, quackery, just trying to figure stuff out. So he was really, he he was a pioneer though, despite all his, his... eccentricities. Um, He pioneered a lot of early understanding of organ transplants, how teeth work, how to treat gunshot wounds, child development, venereal disease. Mm -hmm. He had a lot of medical interests and he just cut into thousands of people to try to figure Uh it out. Um, You know, if if you know anyone who became pregnant using artificial insemination, they have this guy to thank. Oh, wow. He did the first artificial insemination in 1790 using a syringe. Oh my gosh. Yeah, he just had a good idea. Still how they kind of do it. Which you have to imagine was kind of at the time sort of pretty weird of an idea, you know? Like, hey, what if we took some sperm from somebody yeah. and put it into a syringe and jam it into someone else? Yeah, yeah. You know? But it worked. Yeah. So, good going. Crazy. Yeah. So, what does it all have to do with anxiety? Yeah. Or stress, okay. I mean. You said so, stress. What is super interesting is that this guy basically, stre- he was a stressed out individual, you know? <laughs> he worked from early in the morning. He was obsessed. He was obsessive and obsessed. And he okay. worked from early in the morning to late at night. Didn't sleep enough. He was, by all reports, mean-spirited, cantankerous, volatile. Oh. He was a stressed out person. And he actually, his work, he killed himself with work. Oh. He, he died of stress like mid-lecture oh. or something. Oh. Just like on his feet. Just like, like a heart got, attack He got super mad about something and just died. Oh, Okay. Like he literally died of stress and anger. Um, wow. Which was super interesting. Like he had what what the author here refers to as trademark exclamations of fury. <laughs> died from fury. I feel yeah. like there are moments in my life I might be able to die from fury. He was prone to outbursts and he was mentally volatile. And it appeared to other people that his mental volatility was linked to a visible heart condition in which he was routinely unable to perform his duties after his trademark outbursts. Okay. Right? And so... Uh, when, when he died, the tables were turned. Uh, and he was himself <laughs> subjected to <laughs> an autopsy <laughs> that sought physical markers of what we now understand to be stress. Okay. And it's really interesting because a person uh, at the time contemporaneously was noting, taking notes during this autopsy, it says here, the tracks of disease processes were physically sketched on Hunter's innards. <laughs> and the comparison of autopsy findings helped to create and formalize new categories of disease concepts relating to how stress works in our body. That's a, super interesting, That's awesome. Right? Also, I'd like to make a petition to never use the word innards. That's a weird <laughs> word. A There's certain word. words that just aren't cool. Moist is one. Okay, yeah. Moist yeah. innards. Sorry. Bad combo. Yeah. Uh-huh. But you know, the reason I put this under let's get less dumb okay. is there's actually just a little side note here that felt so... Uh, so related to what we're currently dealing with in our country vis-a-vis uh, how people on the far right have a cult-like understanding of how disease works, right? I did not expect this is where this is going. I know. I'm, I'm a, interested. It's a cool twist, Tell right? Tell me more. So it says here... Um, Interestingly, the link between emotions and physical harm had long been supposed, but it was pseudoscience. Yeah. Right? Like, so people had an idea that maybe they were related, they were onto something, mm-hmm. but like the actualities that they sort of imagined, like here's how this probably could work in right. the real world, were totally bunk. Right. And one here says, it says, for example, medieval scientists sometimes suggested that fear caused infection from bubonic plague. 
And that during outbreaks of the Black Death, only those who feared the plague were susceptible to it. Oh my God. And what does that remind you of? Oh my God, totally. Right? Like, I'm not afraid of COVID. That's how right-wingers have been dealing with COVID for the past three years. Totally. Right? Oh my God. And there's a proud lineage, I mean, to their line of thinking, going back to medieval times. Yeah. So it's... I mean, good for them, I guess. No. That they haven't managed to progress in their thought processes since, you know, the 1400s. Wow. Amazing. It's like 600 years of bad thought patterns that for a certain segment of the population, a certain type of person Mm. who is prone to these sort of mental delusions has not progressed at all. Right. At all. Well, I mean, those scientists in the 1700s, like we're practicing science, right? Like science is not... Science is the act of like of searching, make, of searching, yeah. of forming hypotheses yeah. about things and testing them as rigorously as you can, given the current like technology, right? And then yeah. retesting the mm-hmm. findings over time to arrive at something uh, at a truth, yeah. At a, as you know, and, and like and the, and and science in that regard, like science has to progress, yes. And so you know, those science scientists from the seventeen hundreds. We're doing the work of science to try to get to better conclusions, to get to get to get to, get to more accurate conclusions. Yes, yeah, just grave robbing and hacking people up and checking things out and the learning. Right. So if just the folks today would just keep up with science, that's then the thing, we right? Would be it's, fine. That's what's so wild to me about this. It's like, sure, back in the 1400s. Like, I'm sure it was cutting-edge scientific thought to be like, hey, I think there's a link between fear and whether you get the plague. Right. You know. Right. But like, we figured that one out. Right. Right. We figured was, that one out a long time the ago. The plague was actually a virus. Mm-hmm. Yeah. We know all of this. This yeah. is this is all what we were, would refer to as, as settled science. Yeah. You know, right. we may, and we, we may not know even to this day exactly how all components of viral infection work. We're still learning. Science is still progressing. Absolutely. But the fact of it not being caused by fear or not having right. fear of it, we know that to be true. And that's what is just so wild it to me. Wild. That there is still this, this sort of type of person who just has not managed to learn that. Yeah. Who, who willfully holds that sort of learning at arm's well, length. And I, I just, I, the next question is why? Like, you know, what motivations, what like, what motivations inside a person cause them to dismiss widely tested and accepted science? You know, like I just, I, I go back to, you know, like if, if parts of your own, how, how you how you identify yourself, parts of how you define your your own identity, are at odds with with a fact. Sure. Then the fact loses. The fact loses. Yeah. yeah. Like that's something that we've been witnessing over the last number of years with regard to people's political sure. beliefs that aren't based in fact at all. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, people's beliefs about the virus that mm-hmm. aren't based in fact at all. Yeah. It's really. Man, humans are humans are complex, man. Yeah, there's an interesting side note here. Okay, uh, in this article, uh, and this is just a little cool linguistic thing. I think you'll really okay. enjoy. Uh, so it says here, when we speak now of stressors, we sometimes say that a person is highly strung. Oh. And it turns out that this also comes from this same era, this same sort of mid to late 18th century era. Mm-hmm. Uh, highly strung referred to this idea that the fibers of the nerves were being strained between the body and the mind as though the human frame were a finely tuned musical instrument. Yeah, right. strung. Uh, like a guitar, like yeah. when you just yeah, tune yeah. it a little bit too much and the string pops. Yeah, yeah. That, when it's right on the edge of that. Hey, the metaphor works, so like you, you get the point. 
I know. You really do. But they thought it was literal. Isn't that amazing? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. Well, thank you. I am less dumb. Yep. Maybe a little bit. Oh, for I, sure. I believe in science. That's good. Mm-hmm. Uh, how about we go to the suggestion box? I want to speak to you, manager, now, please. All right, what you got? All right, I'm I'm going to go on a mini anti-tech rant okay. in my suggestion box. I'm here for this. I'm not even sure I have a particular suggestion. I just want to be it's like... It's just a complaint. Really. I just want to be like... You, just, you want to talk to the manager, <laughs> but you don't need a resolution. You just want to yell at them. Yeah. Okay. I, yeah, and that's what I want to do. I okay. Want to, I want to yell in a cathartic sort of way at the manager. Okay. And the manager I want to yell at is just tech in general uh-huh. and specifically uh music streaming mm, mm, <laughs> tech mm. and and ai like mm. just kind of all wrapped up in one it's but the, the the streaming thing comes from the fact of the other day i got my uh sort of is it quarterly or it's every it's every 3 months that is quarterly it's quarterly, quarterly uh annual quarterly statement uh from ascap which is a, the performing rights organization that i belong to they pay out royalties to songwriters and publishers okay? they collect they collect royalties that are due people like Shannon for when she writes a song and her song gets used somewhere, like on TV, film, whatever, streaming, perhaps, whatever it might yes. be. ASCAP is one of these, uh, they're a nonprofit, and they collect the monies from all over the world, and then this, they give them to Shannon. Right. They so, do it for her, and they take a small cut. Yeah, so the... The um, the royalty that I was looking, I was looking at the statement that I got because I was just and, and the statement is like really long and I don't usually like dive into it with any any sort of like depth because it it lists literally every song that um, has been that, that there's a royalty that's been collected for a songwriting royalty that's been yeah. collected for on every service that they collect for so this is worldwide like, worldwide so, well no it's I believe well, it depends it's what the States. report is yeah, yeah. It's, so yeah. It's, this, this was is, domestic this writer. is domestic yeah. Yeah. yeah 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 so this is like streaming services where like if my song's been in a TV show and somebody watched that TV show you know the number of times it was watched like determines the amount of royalty I and songwriting where did royalty. they watch it yeah so there's so many different places one so, TV show could be watch 10 different places. Right. So it's, it's very complex. And so I usually don't dive into the, to the details, but I did just got out of curiosity. And I was, I found this one line item um, where a song that I had, that didn't, I didn't expect to have been streamed as frequently as it was. It was a song from uh, our 2017 album, The Space Between, a song called Hello Dawn. And it had like an unusually high number of, of plays on this one uh, music streaming service. And Granted, this is not the only place I get paid no, for no. streaming service royalties. Those come also through our distributor for because we own the master recordings of these records. And mm-hmm. so like we get paid on that. But this is the songwriting royalty. And I was looking at this and the 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 royalty amount, like I it was played, the song was played like 2,000 times in mm-hmm. this in this one particular period. Um, and the amount I got paid for those 2,000 plays mm-hmm. was Seven thousandths? No, it was it was uh, it was, was seven point six six hundred thousandths of, of a cent per play. Right, hundred thousandths of a penny, and a so hundred, hundred thousandths of a penny. At this rate, if we were to earn one <laughs> penny, if we wanted to earn one penny at this rate, this song would have to be streamed thirteen million times. Yeah. I did the math. You did the math to earn one penny, right? And so I just was like, oh my god, like. I just wanted I just want to yell at a manager about this because like it used to be that people purchased music and listened to vinyl records or tapes or CDs and the, and the you know the, the person me the songwriter and the performer who made those records 
would get paid that money. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, and, and streaming services have come along and been like, how about we offer things that are free that, to our listeners? And they've gobbled up all the money in the, in the middle. <laughs> like the people who, who own and operate these streaming companies are so wealthy. <laughs> oh yeah. Like the lawyers who executed these contracts that make it so that you get paid 7.66 hundredths of a penny per stream. <laughs> Those lawyers are millionaires. Those are high paid lawyers. And the companies that are paying you are run by billionaires. And if you've ever wondered how someone gets to be a billionaire, this is how. Yeah, it's, it's by exploiting other people's work. Other people who don't have millionaire lawyers right. advocating for right. them. Because totally. who's advocating for the artists? No one. Right. And I, so I just, it was just my, my my general rant about tech is more kind of about this idea that like, yeah, there's so many things about like new technology that have made life more interesting and fun and easy, you know, in a lot of ways, right? Like, and I'm not discounting that. I'm not like an anti-tech person. But I feel like the the capitalist motivations that fuel the tech industry are destroying people, mm -hmm. <laughs> you know? And this, I mean, it's true across the board, like mm -hmm. in any industry that you could look at, right? People who are, you know, doing, you know, gig work for tech companies because they're, companies won't pay them, you know, a living wage, you know, mm -hmm. like there's just so many ways in which this exploitation is like ruining people. Oh, absolutely. Um, and, and, and they're always coming up with like this new idea that they think, they think it's going to like save, you know, save this industry or save, you know, like it's going to be the new revolutionary idea. And like one of the new things is AI, right? Like uh -huh. people are like all about AI right now. Like the artificial intelligence is going to just like, you know, help us in all these ways. And like one of the things that people have been playing with, like, you know, like having AI create art, quote unquote, create art yeah. really means just stealing from other people's previously made art to cobble together their own quote unquote art. Yeah. You know, like it's just computers stealing essentially yeah. and, and, and re, you know, putting stuff together. Um, and I just, this just felt like so... <laughs> It's cathartic reading this one uh, Mastodon post from uh, from Annalie Newitz. They're a writer and author, and they had this great uh, Mastodon post that I want to uh, to read that just felt appropriate to my feelings about tech and tech thinking they're coming in and solving things, but really they're not. And and this is what they have. This is what Annalie has to say. They say. I just invented an amazing system for creating science, art, and written language. And the best part is that anyone can use it. It is called, or I call it, a human being with decent pay at a full-time job. You should try one today. <laughs> just like, I just wish that our, I just wish that our focus was more on human beings. We can, we, like, these, like, tech so often is inventing problems that we don't have. And in their solutions, they cut out the livelihoods of human, real human beings. And you know what I mean? You blamed it on capitalism earlier, yeah. and I think that's right, but I want to locate it more precisely. Okay. It's, a, it's personal capitalism. What do you mean? I mean greed. Oh, yeah. That's what I mean. Yeah, yeah. You know, You're right. uh, because I was watching this amazing video just yesterday, actually, sort of about the whole Spotify, like the, the payment, the streaming payment rate mm -hmm. situation in yeah. general. And the person was kind of zooming out. The guy who did this video was sort of zooming out and talking more generally about how tech companies work. And the way they work is with something called hyperscaling. That's the technical term of art that's okay. given to this. The idea is that when you start a company that's going to try to move in and quote unquote disrupt to space, right? What you do, the first thing you've got to do 
is you've got to sort of invent the bare bones of the service and you've got to scale, 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 scale. You've got to get as many users mm. on board as you can, as quickly as you can. And the way to do this, of course, is to offer whatever the actual service is. For free. For free or at a complete, as a loss leader. Right, you know? yeah. And you subsidize this with venture capital money. So the way this works is you use venture capital money, millions and millions, hundreds of millions of dollars off mm -hmm. of venture capital money mm -hmm. to get as many users on board as possible through a combination of subsidizing the service, which should cost much more than you're offering it for because you mm -hmm. have to offer it really, really low to get right. them to adopt it right. and advertising, right? Uh -huh. That's where the rest of the money goes. Yeah. So you get all these people on board. Like with Spotify, they had hundreds of millions of users, right? Mm -hmm. And they were losing, losing, losing money. But then what you do is after you have gotten all the users on, after mm -hmm. you've hyperscaled, then you figure out whether you can actually make it work financially. <laughs> It's so backwards. And it's completely backwards of what we think of when we think of starting a business, right? What you yes. think of with starting a business is you think about starting small, figuring out a way that you can make something profitable small, and then you scale it up and up and up. Yes. And this is literally the exact opposite. It's just like, let's just get a bunch of users first while while also wrecking people's lives, right? right? All the lives of all the people in the previous- work. Yeah, well, and also like there was a previous way of doing things that was working, mm -hmm. at least to some degree. Mm -hmm. Like the music industry has never been super fair for artists, but it used yeah. to be much, much, much fairer than this, right. you know? Right. Uh, and they set out to basically completely wreck that and wreck a bunch of careers in the process. Shannon and I, as as everyone listening knows, have had to completely reinvent how we do things financially. And mm -hmm. we're still in the middle of doing that. Right. P.S. Go to misfitstars.com slash support <laughs> if you want to support our work. Because individual people supporting us in a small dollar recurring monthly way is the only way right. that that helps us. Right. You know what I mean? It's so cute. I was having this conversation online with sort of a clearly like not full-time artist. A young, he strikes me as being like a young man with opinions. Uh-huh. You know, and so this kid was sort of mansplaining to me about, <laughs> and he, like, and he makes music. He's got a band camp. He's he clearly cares about it. He's yeah. clear, he cares about educating people about how Spotify is screwing artists. Blah yeah, blah yeah. blah. And you know, and he had all these things. He had this little list of things that he had thought of in, in my imagination, his like mid twenties brain about here's what you can do and should do. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. I've been thinking about this for two and a half years. Here's what I think <laughs> you should do. And his list was like, you know, support people on Patreon, uh, buy people's uh, music. Uh -huh. uh, support uh, them on Ko-Fi. That's like buy them a coffee. That's a little website where you can buy someone a coffee oh. and you can sign up for an account. Okay. It's basically like you're giving someone three bucks. Yeah. Um, you know, or, or he's like, or heck, find the find the email, find the Venmo address of somebody you really appreciate and just send them a few bucks. And I wrote back to him and I was like, I really love how you're thinking, but I want to respectfully submit that in my opinion, the only one of the things that you just mentioned that moves the needle at all for artists is the first one, the Patreon. The yeah. supporting people in a recurring monthly way. And everything else that you wrote is just ways for people to tick a box and feel good about themselves for having quote unquote supported artists right. without actually having helped them at all. Without any sort of meaningful, like that's any, right. anything that's going to actually make a difference in that artist's life to be able to continue to live. That's it. Yeah. If every single person who follows your work purchased our new CD at $10, which let's be clear, only about 1% of people are going to, but let's say 100% of them did. That would only make us $50,000 one time. That's not enough to support two people for a year. Right. You know what I mean? Like, And that's a, that's a ridiculously zoomed out, cartoonish exaggeration. The reality is that way, way less than 1%. We only sold like five CDs this album cycle. Granted, we're not on tour, but it's like, it's just not a thing people do. People stream now. 
Right. Because Spotify made it so people stream because they wrecked the previous iteration of the industry where people bought music. Right. So, you know. Yeah. It's all just, it's, it's a weird transitional time for sure. It is. Well, that was my rant, so. Yeah, <laughs> and a little bonus rant for me. Okay, that's good. I uh, love it. I'm under the impression that you are wanting to request a gold star. Heck yeah. It's actually for both you and me. Oh, okay. And very simply, you and I did a kick-ass whiteboarding session yesterday. Oh, yeah. I really felt great about it. Uh -huh. So people, this is something that Shannon and I actually do. This is like the behind-the-scenes, like really boring minutiae of how we do our, <laughs> our, our business-y stuff. But very. we literally do whiteboarding sessions about once every three to six months, and we just set our direction for what we're going to do next. And we get everything out that we need to. We brainstorm every single aspect of what we want to tackle, and then we get things on our calendar. Mm -hmm. Markers to hit. We have markers going out through like July at this point mm -hmm. and one far off marker in like September. Yeah. <laughs> and it feels so great. Just now we have a roadmap yes, now. Yes, it's good. And it feels so good. And I'm just really proud of us. And I want to request okay. us a gold star. Gold stars for us. Yeah. Awesome. All right. So that said, uh, this feels important. Please hold for a very important message. So my this feels important item is kind of a little, it's not like... Uh, it's not like an issue-based important, like it's not an important issue, mm -hmm. but it feels like an important thing from that I've been thinking about. It's important to me and sort of I want to like also redirect it as a question to anyone listening that might be an interesting thing for y'all to think about too. Um, so like I, I just have been thinking about like what are... What are my, like, I don't make New Year's resolutions. Like that. that's not something that's ever been part of my life. Um... I am not much of a goal setter at all. Like, mm. I hate the question, what's your five-year plan? <laughs> like, I'd never... I, I, I love the joke response in whatever that movie was, uh, celebrating the five-year anniversary of you asking me this question. Yeah, exactly, right? Yeah. Like, I just... It doesn't work for me. Like, I'm very much more um, uh, committed to the idea of doing the next right thing. And I just... I don't know... I don't know what where I'm going to be in five years following that path. I no, just don't, you no. know? And so, um, but that said, like, and the turning of the year doesn't really mean much except for it's just, it's the, the date changes. It's not like it's some cosmic event really, you know, yeah. uh, or, or anything other, anything more significant than, than, you know, the year, the number of the year changes. Yeah. But, you know, it is a time where, like, we've just come out of this time of rest over the holidays, and, and it does feel like a starting new kind of, you know, time for a yeah. lot of people, and for me too. And and so I've been thinking about, like, sort of what I want to, like, what, what, what I want my intentions to be focused on as, as this new year begins. And the thing that has come up for me quite a lot, and I ended up having a sort of a, a great back and forth conversation with somebody in our private Misfit Stars social network mm -hmm. the other day about, about this idea too. But I'm coming around, like, I, I, it's, this has been an issue also that I've been, that I've been grappling with for years. But mm -hmm. this is, it's sort of like a, a, a fresh, a fresh view on this idea. And it is, I'm continuing to unravel old narratives around scarcity in my life mm -hmm. and um and and I'm learning to embrace lessons of abundance in new ways. And I think in the past I have thought about the ideas of scarcity and abundance regarding like financial resources mostly. Mm. Um but I've been experiencing sort of uh or learning how Path, old pathways of scarcity thinking can impact my life in ways other than in my financial resources. Mm. Like, like, um, 
my own enoughness as a person, mm. right? Like I can feel scarcity around that sure. idea. About your self-worth. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Um, I can feel scarcity around um, my age, like, like I don't have enough time left in my life to, or something. You know what I mean? Like, mm. like there's, like it's just, and maybe scarcity isn't even the right word, but these are limiting thoughts, you know, that I, I sort of like have these ingrained pathways that I learned as legitimate coping mechanisms earlier in my life yeah. to deal with stress or, yeah. or whatever circumstances I needed to deal with, right? But I recognize that, that these scarcity pathways aren't serving me yeah. <laughs> like in any way. And so like I, I got, I w- it was really great to be able to have this conversation with uh, our misfit, my misfit star friend in our social yeah. network because it really allowed me to sort of like explicate in a just a more detailed way what these lessons of abundance have been for me lately. Yeah. And our time of rest that we just took over the holidays really helped me with that because I, I was not on any kind of a wheel or, or, or trying to work toward any product productivity. So like I really kind of had the time to like sit with these ideas and, mm. and it was really good. But like what I, what I found myself meaning about like lessons in abundance is like, like I'm getting a little deeper about it, like with this idea that it's, it's about noticing when I'm experiencing feelings of anxiety about my life or work. Mm-hmm. And then like examining if those feelings are rooted in something that's real mm. <laughs> or if they're coming from those deeply rooted old ways of thinking in my brain, like hmm. that there isn't enough or that I'm not enough or whatever. So yeah. the thoughts can come like in the form of like, um, I'm not enough or I'm not, or I'm too old or there isn't enough time or I won't have enough resources. And when I examine those thoughts that kind that show up show up like anxious thoughts, yeah, I realize that the, the root of them is like a, it's not true. They're not based in any sort of truth, really. Um, they're just mainly. They're, I think that they that maybe my brain coughs those thoughts up as a way to protect against feelings of vulnerability in an uncertain circumstance. Uh-huh. Does that make sense? Yep. Um, and so, and, and it's, it's a whole lot of future tripping too. Like it's a whole lot of me trying to project like, oh, that's not possible because X, Y, or Z, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but those thoughts are limiting to me. And I, what I'm working on, and this is what's important to me for this year and sort of setting my intention about this, all, about all this, is that I'm, I'm wanting to replace those sort of like panic mode inducing thoughts whenever I have them mm. with uh, thoughts that are instead... Um, centered in the present moment, mm-hmm. thoughts that are um, that aren't about what might or might not happen in the future, but that are you know what what is true right now. Thoughts that are planted firmly in what is possible, mm-hmm. as opposed to growing out of worries that my over overactive imagination can cough up about what may or may not happen or what what I may or may not have working against me. Like I want my thoughts to be centered more around possibility and less around. Um, the worry that scarcity introduces into my brain. Does that does all that make sense? Yep. Yeah. So I just I it's, it, I, I put this in the this feels important. You're kind of doing per, like a sort of self guided CBT, basically. Yeah, I guess so. Do you want to describe what you know about CBT? So it's very can... little, but it's, it's okay. called cognitive behavioral therapy, and it's really just this. It's this idea of redirecting bad thoughts toward good thoughts. Yeah. That's yeah. it. Yeah, and I, I mean and I... that. That's a very, very <laughs> okay. reductive and probably mostly like not inaccurate, but it's really a shallow version of it, mm-hmm. you know. But that's my understanding of the essence of it. 
Got it. Yeah. Well, that's great. And I and it's just, I don't know. It felt like it was. This is this is what's feeling really important to me right now. Like, like it's it. not an issue. It's not something that you know. But it's feeling really important to me to really spend a lot of my my conscious energy uh, noticing when these noticing when scarcity pops up and replacing it with thoughts about what's true, what's true in the present moment, and what's possible. Not limiting thoughts of, oh no, what might go wrong, and I don't have enough to accomplish whatever it is I want to go after. Yeah, yeah. So love it. That's what's important to me. How about you? What's what's feeling important to you today? Uh, mine is just a little thing, but it sounds like great news. Um, so you know, battery technology. Let's talk about battery technology. Okay. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Uh huh. It's been improving, right? Okay. And we all know that it's kind of been improving. You hear little things in the news, but check this out: the U.S. Energy and Information Administration mm-hmm. now projects that utility-scale battery storage capacity will more than double next year and will nearly quadruple by 2025. Okay, when you say utility-scale, that means like the utilities that supply electricity to like cities and towns. Yeah, like TPU, PG&E. I mean, name your local utility, SMUD, whatever it is. But yeah, we're we're not talking about like uh, panels on top of your house. We're talking about like substations that power your your neighborhood. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. I know. Well, Well, because if you think about this transition to green energy that we are sort of haltingly attempting to undergo as right. a as a country, as a world. Planet. The thing that always holds it back and makes it really difficult is that right now it's not super reliable. I mean, like, it's reliable when it's working, but what if the wind stops blowing for a bit? What if you got a bunch of dark days? Yeah. Then you need to have fallback systems, which is why there's still so many LNG plants and coal plants. Right. Like, because they just have to be there to fill in the gap to pick up the slack. They, they're idle a lot of the time. Mm. Like, we've had day, we've had whole entire days in California and in Washington, other places around the country where, like, for the entirety of a 24-hour period, 100% of the entire state of California's electricity was provided by renewables. That's amazing. Which is amazing. But then you have all these other times where that's not the case, which right. means that all these other polluting plants need to remain online. And when they're online, they're not totally not polluting. Right. It's not like they're off. They're just kind of idle. But like right. an idling car makes pollution, so does an idling power plant. <laughs> you know what Interesting. I mean? Interesting. Okay. And so like the the problem is with renewables that like- Storing energy. That's it. Because like there's definitely times like when you're making a bunch of it, but like you can't store the excess. It just kind of goes away and because you can't store it as efficiently. A battery is energy storage. That's the definition of batteries. That's what that's right? for. Yeah. 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 Totally. And so like, yeah, we're talking like, we're not talking about batteries like you might have <laughs> like in your radio. You know yeah. what I mean? Like I just checked the, the D cell batteries in this little radio we have, <laughs> yeah. C cells, whatever they are, very small. Not talking about those. No. What you're, we're talking about batteries that are like the size of the living room yeah. that can store enough energy to power Tacoma for a month. Right. And so that's what you do. Like you let the renewables kind of work when they can, store the excess energy when they are working. And then when it's not actively working, you run off what's stored in the batteries. And eventually once the batteries get good enough and you have enough of the capture mechanisms in place, that's when we can transition fully away from fossil fuels. Yes. So that's what's exciting. It feels really important. That's very like, cool. Because it's the unheralded bit of the technology, right? It's, it's the non-sexy part. Like whenever you hear people talking about like yeah. the green revolution, we're talking about, you know, everyone always, always spends a lot of time talking about the capture mechanisms. Yeah. Like we're going to do solar here. We're going to do wind here. You know, we're going right. to do waterfalls or whatever the fuck. <laughs> but like you never hear them talking about batteries yeah. as much, right? Sure. So that's why it felt important. Nobody's talking about it. <laughs> 
sorry. I, I'm so sorry. <laughs> Shannon with the super <laughs> rare 45th president impersonation. I hate him so much. Okay. How about we go into the inspiration station? Inspiration station. Heck yeah. I've got one. I know you do too. You want to go first? Okay. So I, I wish that this was like a nice little quote to send you off with. It's not. It's over our holiday break, we watched a ton of TV. Uh-huh. <laughs> Streaming TV. And it was... I'm already feeling inspired. So fun. Keep going. Yeah. The one series that we watched that just absolutely floored me was uh, a, seri- a, a series, a three-season series called His Dark Materials. It's on HBO Max. It's yeah. based on a trilogy, a book trilogy yeah. um, uh, that was published sometime between like the mid-90s and early 2000s mm-hmm. of the same name, His Dark Materials. And I'm failing to remember the author's name right now, and I'm so sorry about that. Um, but the uh, folks who read the books, uh, I've seen posts online saying that they felt like the, the TV series really, you know, was was true to the to the books themselves. Too. Yeah. It's I, first of all, if you if you have the means to watch the series, I just can't recommend it enough. It was so incredibly moving on so many levels. Yeah. Um, it left me with so much to think about. Um, in so many different ways, and I cannot cover all of them here, so I'm not going to try, but there was one aspect of the story and the characters in the story that I have just been, like, really inspired by since we watched it. So this, the series takes place, it's a, it's a, not science fiction, I guess you call it a fantasy, uh, sort of like, it's it's sort of like, it start, the story it's like starts, an alternative future kind of thing. So it has elements of science fiction, elements of fantasy. Right. It's like an alternative reality. Like, right. Uh, it's a multi-world reality. So like yeah. the story itself... It's a what-if kind of thing. Yeah. The story itself starts in an alternate world. I think the term is speculative fiction. Oh, okay. Okay, great. Just came to me. All right. Yeah. So it starts in this... Anna alternate- Lee, who you were referring to earlier, right. they, they do a lot of work in speculative fiction. Right. Like imagining a different version of the present moment if things had gone differently, that right. kind of thing. Right, So this is, it starts off in this other world. And, then, and the very first thing that you see when you watch the series is the, an explanation of, of how this, this thing works that I'm about to tell you about. And they say that every person in this world has what they call a demon, spelled D-A-E-M-O-N. Yeah. Um, and it's not referring to a demon like an evil creature. It's no. not that at all. The demons that each person has is a part of them. It's a part of their soul. It's an expression of their soul, I think it, in the book, it liter- or in the series, it literally is their soul. It's externalized into a separate physical being. Right. So, but it's, and it, so like you said, it's externalized. Every person has a little animal that's with them all the time. It's sort and of like a little pet. Kind of like a little pet, but it is, they are, they are, they are, the, the little pet, whatever it is, and each person's is different, um, is is a part of that person. Yeah. And also these little animals can talk. And so you find, you know, like the the, the main character in the series, um, she has a, a, her demon is often in the form of like a little ferret, yeah. this little white ferret, so cute. Yeah. And they can talk to one another. Yeah. And so... And also uh, demons can talk to uh, other people. They can participate in conversations. It's not just like only you can hear your Mm -hmm. demon. Anyone can hear it. They're part of the world and they all talk with each other. They're just like extra characters. Yes. Um, And I just am so inspired by this idea of demons as a sort of like a um, thought experiment tool <laughs> for knowing and loving ourselves like this idea that like in this in this series you know each character 
could see themselves, look into the eyes of, of, of an expression of their own soul. Mm-hmm. And when, when the, the, when you can, when you look at something else and, and thinking about like the little white, the little white ferret, you know, of the, the lead character, you know, when you see another creature out in the world um, and you're watching them experience the world, you watch them when they experience pain, you can see when they experience physical pain or, or when there's, they're, they're doing something challenging. When you're watching another creature do something like that, like the amount of like, compassion you have for that creature like you 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 feel for them mm-hmm. right and i'm just and i'm probably doing a really terrible job no of you're explaining. doing good. okay yeah but this, i really love this idea of imagining what my demon might be mm-hmm. right imagining what manifestation what physical expression of everything about you that is good yes might look like might look like and and what if I could, what if I could talk to it? What if I could have conversations with it? What if I could look at it with the kind of love and compassion that I that I that I look upon like other creatures that I see? Mm-hmm. And what if what would that experience be like to be essentially like knowing and looking at and loving myself? Yeah. In that kind of way, does that make? Uh-huh. Am I making sense? Like a I lot just, of sense. Yeah. I was so, so deeply inspired by this idea. And like, I think I I would almost like to like explore the idea of just kind of making up what my demon might be, (laughs) you know? Like, and as a way of like, um, when I need to get in touch with uh, feelings of self-love, when I need to get in touch with like having compassion for myself, or giving courage to myself to envision myself in this external being, you know, mm-hmm. and being able to engage with it in that way. I could just think it's, it could be a really interesting tool for, for loving myself and healing in a way. Does that make, am I making sense? You keep asking. I keep saying yes. Okay, good. I'm glad. Cause I feel like I'm just, <laughs> I feel like I'm wrapped around something here. And anyway, I was so inspired. If you have the means to watch the series or if you're more of a reader, pick up the trilogy. I've heard people say that the books are equally as impactful. Like, yeah. oh, it was so It's beautiful. wonderful. Yeah, so it's, it's really, really neat. Uh, so a side note on the word demon. Okay. Uh, D-A-E-M-O-N. Okay. You know, uh, this is a word that I was previously familiar with because uh-huh. it's a computing term. Oh. And it has a whole history there. So in computing, oh. a demon is a computer program that like you don't have access to as a user. It's not one that, it's not a computer program that you would interact with like an app or something. Okay. It's a computer program that runs under the hood, under the surface that sits waiting to handle periodic service requests around a specific task. And okay. I'll give you an example. Okay. So you know how like your phone when the phone receives a text message, okay. it will surface to the front of your phone a notification about the text message. Yes. That's because there's a demon running in the background. Okay. A little computer program that just sits there waiting for the appropriate kind of input that it is coded to sense for. Okay. And in this specific instance, it's a demon that waits for text messages. Okay. And when it senses that a text message has come in, it goes, checks against the preferences to see what sort of notification you want, you know, how you want to look, whatever. Uh-huh. And then it acts upon that. Okay. That's what a demon is. So it's like something acting under the surface. It's yeah. similar to the d- analogy in the uh-huh. in this series. Nifty, right? That's cool. I thought you might yeah, want to know that. Yeah. I do. Well, what do you have to inspire us? today, Jamie. Oh, man. So I just have a little meme 
that I want to describe. I just saw it today okay. on, a, on a friend's just Facebook story. And it was so inspiring to me, okay. right? <laughs> and it's just this idea. I can feel the inspiration. I know, right? <laughs> it's more like the excitement station, really. <laughs> yeah. So if you are 99% committed to something, mm-hmm. you have to remake the decision every single time. Mm. But if you are 100% committed, the decision has already been made. Okay. Say Isn't it, that deep? Say it one more time and then tell me what you, what you think about it. So if you're, if you're 100% committed to something, let me say it the other way. Okay. If you're 100% committed to something, like you yeah. don't have to think about it. You don't have to, make, you don't have, to have a decision-making process about it. Okay. You just like if something comes up in that realm, you know what to do. You know how you feel about it. Okay. But if you are 99% committed, so... Uh-huh. Almost all the way committed, uh-huh. but just like it's it's visualized here. There's actually a visual component. Imagine a ten by ten grid of squares. Yeah. So that's a hundred squares. Yeah, ninety nine are c- colored black, and the one in the bottom right corner is colored orange, okay. right? And that's like what one percent looks like. Uh-huh. But if you have one percent doubt, like that's like if you if you're ninety nine percent committed to something, that mm. means you have one percent doubt. And if you have any number, any percentage of doubt that is other than zero. Mm. You have to have a decision-making process every single time that thing comes up. Interesting. Right? It's like leaving yourself a little out, mm-hmm. which I can see why someone would, why, why we'd want to leave ourselves an out sometimes, yeah. but also that might create more problems for us if yeah. we actually want to make progress on the thing we say we're committed to. Yes. Super deep, right? Yeah. I'll be thinking about that for a while. Thank you. Yeah, totally. (laughs) Well, should we uh, finish things up with the gratitude crank up? Heck yeah. I'll go. Okay. So uh, I'm just super grateful right now for all of the exciting work that I have laid out in front Mm -hmm. of me. Man, that whiteboarding session we had was so good, so (laughs) inspiring. And it just really helped crystallize all the thoughts, organize like what, what all needs to get done? What are the things we hope to accomplish? What are the sub steps that we need to take in order mm-hmm. to make those things happen? Yeah. And now I've just got like a little roadmap with things on the calendar and I can just execute and all of it just seems fun and intellectually engaging and exciting and I'm just super stoked uh, for all of it and I'm just really grateful to have exciting work in front of me. That's so cool. How about you? I, I share that with you. Uh, but I, I wrote down just, I'm really grateful for the rest we had over the holiday. Like oh, yeah. I, I just, it was really, it, it, it that's what set me up for all of the excitement I have yeah. about, you know, the, the stuff that we have in front of us this year. Um, but yeah, just to be able to, to unplug and hibernate, I, wow, I have deep, deep gratitude for that time. So, yeah. so grateful for it. Uh, wonderful. Me and too. We are grateful for you listening today. Thank you so much for joining us and uh, spending a little bit of your day with us. We'll be back. We're, we're on again. 2023 is here. Holiday break is over. So we'll be back again next week with more. Um, in the meantime, if you are uh, not yet somebody who supports the work that we do, um, and, but you enjoy this podcast, you enjoy the stuff that we're doing in the world, uh, music-wise, um, we encourage you to become a supporter. We could use your help, frankly. We could. So go to misfitstars.com support, and you just choose a small dollar monthly amount that you want to kick into the, to the pot. And with everybody else who's kicking in, that pot is something that actually helps us continue the work that we're doing. Yep. Uh, in a helps real, us continue to pay our bills and live. That's what it means. Practical way. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. So misfitstars.com slash support. We'll see you there. Yep. And we'll Thank see you, you next week uh, with more. Until then, take good care of yourselves and be good to each other. Yeah. We love y'all. Bye. Bye.